This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and let's just get right into it. My guest this week is my friend Jared Thatcher. He's the blacksmith and owner, and my mistake, he's the bladesmith and owner of Boot Hill Blades. He, he and his wife have a farm in Tennessee called Three Daughters Farm where they raise sheep and chickens, and they got a, they got a vineyard. And then Kylie, his wife, runs the wood division called Boot Hill Kitchen. Jared, how are you? Hello, my friend. I am doing okay. You're, dude, you are so busy. I, I, last week I talked to Ben Snoor, who was telling me all about ranching, and it got so tiring because you, he's got to be like a gambler in terms of making sure that the cows are okay, and he's got to make sure that there's water and there's no days off. And it must feel like that's the same for you. Oh, it. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's true or not, but like as you scale up, things get slightly easier because there's just more, and so when you make one change, it goes across the board to more. Uh, having a small farm is like, yeah, it's there's just so much to do all the freaking time. It, it, it to me, it's such a it's. I'm starting to realize these this this farming life is such a gamble, and you're such an interesting person because because you came from finance. And you and you you had the, all this these tactical decisions that you made in terms of starting a farm and starting a comp knife company. All I can think of is you're one of these gambler types who takes a gamble on your life and figuring out. Okay, listen, you know maybe the knife making is more stable than the farming. Right, right. I, and um, I, we're just going to go into it, but uh, basically that what you just said there and like taking that risk or taking risks. I was listening to this uh, other podcast and they were talking about um, the people, the difference between people who are saying wear a mask, don't wear a mask uh, during this COVID-19 issue. And uh, he he presented this this great, um, I don't know, maybe it's a theory, but basically he said the people who are saying don't wear masks are most likely people who their everyday job or their everyday career or whatever is already risky. So to them, COVID-19 is not the biggest risk. The bigger risk was putting their life savings into a construction company or whatever. And they're like, look, I'm not scared of whatever's happening right now. The bigger, scarier thing I did in my life was this. So I'm, I'm not saying, of course, don't wear masks and don't of course. You know, pay attention. But, but that um, idea and that like mentality, I love it. I love it. I want to go for it. I want to be risky. I want to do things that are not um, that other people aren't doing. You know? Now I can I know this because I actually listen. Now if you if you're listening to this and you don't know Jared Thatcher, the best thing I can suggest to you is listen to Knife Talk episode 35, where we kind of go into how he got into finance and then how he trans- transitioned into uh, knife making, and it actually is an incredible story. How you kind of like you take these calculated risks, and you've made these. You're not a stupid guy. Actually, one, you're one of you're one of my friends that I count on. A, a small group of people that I actually look up to in terms of your business prowess. <laughs> it's true, it, but but it seems like you're just. I mean, to quote Howard Stern, you're doing too much. I mean, I, you, yeah, you yeah. make me tired. I make know? me tired. Are you kidding me? Hey, are we and gotta, a drink on this podcast? 
you could do whatever you want. Listen, I, I was going to say, <laughs> podcast noise. And the funny thing is, is, you know, I was going to, one of the questions I was going to ask you is the farming, because I know you, you got the, you know, sometimes there's, I know that, you know, P.S., I'm sorry for stumbling around there, but your wife is so funny on, on Instagram. You've got to follow Kylie because it's um, Boot Hill Kitchen or, uh, um, Three Daughters, Three Daughters Farm, yeah. because you both have this flair for entertainment in your stories. <laughs> and I want to I want to tell you, your your wife did this move last week. When, I guess you guys just recently had a flood on the property that you never had before. Right. And she said, I think the chickens are all dead. And that was the end of the story. So <laughs> I had to wait till the next story for her to say, my bad, they're all okay. And she's got a flair for the dramatic. Wait, you want to know? You want to know about that? Yes, this, please. Go this ahead. Is in, this is insane. Uh, flood happens, uh, comes down. There's a creek on the backside of our property. Never seen it flood like this before. Uh, the, the water came up. It filled up my pond. My pond is like maybe 100 feet away from the creek. It went over the bank and filled up my pond and then moved into half of our pasture. Like we, I thought I was going to walk outside and have, you know, dead lambs that had drowned because it came up that high. And it's not near the house or anything, but, uh, so this was over the weekend. Friday, my wife tells me, uh, Kylie tells me, we are, we've got these little fluffy baby chickens that she's been raising forever. And she's like, I think they're big enough. Let's put them in the bigger coop. And I said, I don't really know. They don't have feathers yet, but you know, whatever. If that's what you want to do, fine or whatever. So Saturday, I'm out of town. She decides to build this run out of uh, some two by fours and some chicken wire. She builds this little run for them to get some sun, be outside in the grass, whatever. She puts them in the run. Doesn't really forget about it, but we didn't know it was going to rain that night like it was going like it did. Doesn't really forget about it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> she, you know she's like we, it's we a didn't little bit of blame going on. <laughs> we didn't check the weather. We, you know we didn't really check the weather. So we uh, she gets up. She all, for the most part she always gets up earlier than I do. She has some bad like carpal tunnel issues in her hands from of course the woodworking, and so she can't sleep in the morning. So she's up, crack of dawn. She's out there. My phone starts ringing. I see its wife. I turn over and I'm like, what the? So I answer it and I'm like, hey, honey, like what's going on? And she's like, the chickens are dead. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? The chickens are dead. I put the baby chickens out in the run and they're all dead. Please come out here. <sighs> oh, no. So I get up. I mean, they're they're dead. So I'm not going to rush out there if they're already dead. <laughs> you're, right? you're already sitting Shiva. I understand. Yeah. I so. You. So I get up, get dressed. I actually make myself some coffee, uh, pour my coffee. I walk out there, and it is just a crime scene. And somehow, we had 12. Somehow we only found 11 dead. We have no idea where one of them is. He, it got out. It I, I don't know. But um, the 11 of them are just laying. They look, they're wet. They're just laying in the ground, and, and they're terrible. And she's like pretty upset she's noticeably upset yeah it sounds terrible it was horrible and and so she basically calls me out there because she wants me to pick them up you know so i go to pick up the biggest one and they're just chicks they're not even large chickens they're just chicks they're very small i go to pick up the largest one and it moves its freaking head and i was like i mean it was like mashed into the ground it looked like the rain had pelted it into the grass chickens Lazarus freaking chickens. I pick up the this big the biggest white one, moves its head. I'm like, honey, 
there's some of these are still alive. We have to like go get the heat lamp set up. If we like get their body temperature back up, we may save some. I go through all the chickens and basically five of them were still alive in some form or fashion. We put them under two heat lamps, brought their um brought their body heat up as fast as we possibly could, and I have five I think they're going to be normal chickens. I don't. I don't know. What like, would, the, I mean, what, would, what would be the? I mean, well, what? if your if your heart stops pumping blood to your brain and stuff, if you freeze, you know, kind of like I don't know if they're going to be like. But I mean, if they're moving around, I mean, these chickens are not meant to be like. Right. Doctors. I mean, correct. We don't, correct. We don't need them. I mean, we need these. These chickens are. Not yeah. For, for my food. neighbor said stupid chickens taste the same, and I said that's yeah, a that's, that's a great I've, point. Uh, that's a great point. So the, we it's, resuscitated five of them. Somehow. God. So how come they didn't know to not go by the water? I don't, because they're chickens. They're not doctors, like you just said. Yeah. God. I, you know, it's just too much. You know, that's the other thing about you guys. Number one, I, part of me thinks that Kylie enjoys the farming more than you do. That's my personal opinion. Just she by absolutely does. <laughs> okay, she absolutely well, does. Mystery solved. I, you know I mean, what I do? Was, go this ahead. Is, this is what I do. I buy baby animals because I think they're funny and cute at mm. the store. And then I bring them home and hand them to her, and she ends up raising them and dealing with them in the oh end. That's why but I have so many ducks. I can't help it. The lady at Tractor Supply is like, Jared, I have ducks. And I'm like, what I'll do you take do them. The ducks? I just, I raise them, and they're outside, and they run around the farm, and they're hilarious. They're oh, weird. so you're not, these are not for, to be eaten. No, they lay eggs, of course, but, uh, and duck eggs. I mean, I assume that you coming from the culinary background, uh, you've had duck eggs. Uh, they're incredible. Yeah. They're my favorite. Oh, you really you like them? Oh, I, I haven't had them. one in a while, but I seem to remember them being on the gamey side. They're a little bit gamey, but they're so um, rich that if you make like breads or oh, and I, I know you you're not a big baker. Um, and Kylie was gonna pick um, pick a fight with you over that, but. Uh, any of the breads or muffins or anything that you make what's with duck eggs? A, or, what's the pick a fight about? Oh, I mean, it's, uh, it's not she, a, I mean, I just not for me. Yeah, I know, but you said something about baking is for, and I can't remember the adjective that you. Don't used, worry about the, the adjective. Yeah. I, I might have been fooling around. You're lucky. And I, I might have remember. said the wrong thing. It's all. I, yeah. I, I, I can remember, but I, it was an unnecessary moment <laughs> on knife talk where I felt the need to say something a little bit outrageous, and I might have gone a little overboard. Fine. I might have liked it, and I might have told her so, that. <laughs> oh, that's what happens. That's what I always get the bad stuff. But it, the thing is, it's just like it just seems as though farming in general seems too it just seems too anxious and it's too much anxiety yeah there's a lot of loss there's a lot of like you just have to keep moving on and keep going like you try things because we're not farmers you know like that's not what we grew up doing or or anything like that but you try new things hopefully it works out if it doesn't then you know what you did wrong hopefully and you can correct it the next time but but i mean on the the payoff is um it's fun yeah. It's also is it? Uh, it can be fun. It can I've be seen fun. Some pictures like, of you putting like posts in the ground. It'll look yeah. fun to me. Yeah, and and uh, and wrangling. Wrestling, yeah, wrestling sheep. Yes, wrangling the large uh, ram that we have. I would not call that part fun. But uh, Berkeley and Remy, our little girls, they absolutely get a kick out of it. Like huh. they they know how to do stuff that other little kids don't know how to do. Um. And I mean, they're not like overly, you know, smart kids. They're just at your average kids, but they have fun doing that kind of stuff. And then they tell their friends about it and their friends are like, what the heck? <laughs> Why do you do that? You know? So, so what did Kylie do before she did this farming? 
I'm thinking that there's something in her family. You guys are both from Arizona originally? No, she's from Indianapolis, and uh, her parents had a couple of acres. They did have a couple of acres growing up, and she did show cattle or whatever. You know where you sell them at like 4-H? You sell them at the fair or something? Okay. Oh, so she, she has some animal husbandry in her in her past. Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so is this she, something she's always wanted to do? Um, I don't know if she's always wanted to do it, or if just the combination of her and I, like, kind of created that, or or brought that because she was not doing anything like this in Arizona, you know, hmm. when when she lived there. So because I I get the feeling, especially from Kylie, she is super driven. Yeah. And 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 she's super driven in in on regard. I'm, see, I'm warming my way back after that uh, unfortunate baking comment I made. <laughs> you can tell. You can tell that she. It's she's. You guys. Neither one of you take days off. Neither one of you. You know. You're both like. You you can't. You don't have the opportunity, especially in the summertime when you have all the grapes you need to harvest and you need to move this and you're dealing with the lambs and you're dealing with the chickens. It's just. It all seems like it's just too much. Right. And then. I saw on the internet a couple nights ago, I was doing a little research on you. Uh-huh. I saw a picture of you in a plaid shirt being sworn in to as some sort of civil servant. Uh, yes. What is going on? Yeah, our little town of Lafayette, Kentucky. So earlier you, you said we lived oh, in, I Tennessee. You were in Tennessee. But well, it's one mile over the border. It's extremely close. And we Jeez did Louise. we started Boot Hill Blades in Tennessee. And then bought this farm that's one mile over the border. So I my my little farm actually sits on the uh, firing range for Fort Campbell, Kentucky, like on, where they okay. launch artillery and and whatnot. And so it sits, it backs up to that range, and that is technically in Tennessee. So I'm like one, like I said, one mile over the border. Okay, so I wasn't ter- totally wrong. Right. So, um, but now you're you're. What are you doing for your town? So. We have about 160 people approximately in town here. And for some odd reason, sometime in the 80s, they incorporated as, you know, a city or a town or whatever. And uh, we have a mayor and a city commission, which is actually different than a city council. But we have a city commission with four people on it and then a mayor. And those, the city commissioner roles come up. Uh, every two years for election, and then the mayor role is every four years uh, for election. And basically, the the long story short is our current mayor got a girlfriend in another town and moved away. <laughs> and he was about you can't you have to live in the town to be the mayor. Yes, you have to live in the town huh. to be the mayor, and which is n- not easy because the town's like not even a square mile. You know, <laughs> it's. Really? Not, I mean, there's maybe 60 households maybe in town, uh, 60 or 70, I guess, households in town. So you have to live in the city to be the mayor. So he got a, he still has his house here, but he's 60, 65, somewhere around there. Got himself a nice young girlfriend that he can visit in town. And, and so he started going into town more often and not being here. So with a little pressure from the other commissioners, they uh, he basically stepped down. When he stepped down, that left open the mayor position. The way it works, I don't know if this is all of Kentucky, but I believe it is. But the way it works is the city commissioners, the four of them, then vote for the new mayor. It's not a public vote. You, they, they, they nominate that new mayor. So one of the people that's a city commissioner, he's about 22 years old, and he was the only other male on the city commission. 
the the three women on commissioners voted him. One of them's his grandmother, of course, and one of them's his grandma's best friend. They all voted for him to okay. be mayor. Right. So, right. So the whole commission is uh, related, essentially. <laughs> uh, they voted for him to be mayor. Yeah. Well, according to our city's law, our city's bylaws, you can't be mayor unless you're 25 or older. Well, we just kind of look past that. It's fine. And so this young guy is is uh, is our current interim mayor. So the actual special election, he's been mayor for six months. Our special election is coming up in uh, November, and we will have all four commissioner spots uh, open and the mayor spot. When he got voted into mayor, the young guy, they voted me in just basically off the street as to take his spot on the Do commissioners. Do they know you? Uh, some of them know me, but to be honest, not really, uh, not that well. It's sort of a raise your hand. Thank you for volunteering. And, uh, you know, and so my push, um, so this year I am running for mayor. Um, and my push was to have as many people run for positions as we possibly could. I said, I know there's only 160 people here. But we need to have choices. Uh, the people deserve choices. You know, the consti- you. the constituents, if you will, yes. deserve yes. choices. And so I got seven people to run for those four spots. And then when the ballot came out, I was running unopposed for mayor. That <laughs> you were you were so well spoken. They're like, well, well, I'm not going to beat that guy. There is a- so now you're the mayor. So the young guy was going to run for mayor and actually he said, he told me that he was going to run for mayor because he wanted to know that the people of the town actually would have voted for him. That's why he was going to run for mayor. And I was like, what a lame reason. I was like, that's just not a very good reason. (laughs) No, terrible reason. It's like, that's like high school. That's like student, student council. It's exactly what it is. Give people like cupcakes to vote for you. It's It's exactly what it is. And I'm good friends with this guy's uncle. And his uncle told him, if you run against Jared Thatcher, you will probably get beat because, number one, you're not old enough anyway. And number two, I guess I have some backing, although nobody in town really talks to me. Apparently, I've got some some backing in town. And so so he didn't run. Obviously, the most probably the most well-known business in town and you're the knife maker. So they automatically assume that you're running around with knives in your teeth. Correct. Intimidated. That's the goal. That's, That's the, the goal. goal. Look at you. So you're the mayor. You're the gonna. You are officially the mayor. Or you're gonna be the mayor. We're running be. unopposed. Running unopposed. But my term doesn't start January first. So technically, if somebody ran as a write-in, like you know, yeah. it'd only take like six people to vote for that write-in. They, they could lose. They, they, <laughs> if there's only like a hundred people in your town, they ain't listen to this podcast. So right. you're, you're going to be right. running unopposed. Yeah, that's my. And hope. you will probably you will, as far as I'm concerned. January 1st, you will be the highest ranking knife maker in the United States. I don't think there are any other mayors in knife making. I'm not sure that I've, or senators. you know. senators? No, 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 no. You're the highest, you will, you will officially be the highest ranking knife maker in the United States. I'm gunning for that national treasure title, you know? I, I mean, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I don't, I mean, there's nobody else. Who else? <laughs> you're know. the highest, you know, now this has become a political podcast. Right, Look right. Look at you. Now it's interesting because, especially with it, it is. I mean, it is crazy to think that you got extra time on your hand to be the mayor. I, I mean, I know that our mayor in this town is not. 
he is not, uh, this is, it's a very, it's a, it's a tricky spot. It's a tricky position, especially during, you know, COVID-19 and coronavirus. And now the biggest thing here in, in uh, Peekskill, and I'll talk about that a little later, is about the, uh, the school, you know, sending people back to school. Are you going to have to be right. making decisions about that? Right. And to be honest, I already am. Our, our current mayor, he works out of town. So I'm, you know, I'm at the shop at home all day and people come, I, I'm the one who handles the stuff here in town anyway. So, like, we had to close the park. We do have a little tiny city park that my, my little girls like to play at. Right. We had to close the park down, and that was not... It's very, very conservative backcountry people here. They do not understand. They, and, and even if they did understand, they just don't care. Um, and so we had to close down the park, and that was, to be honest, it was pretty controversial in a 160-person yeah. town. Oh, I can imagine. We had to do the same thing here because these idiots... Where their kids were like licking the licking the slides, right? And, and it was like it was just, and you know the grandma's taking this slide licking moron down to the to the park, right. and everyone's getting sick. They had to close it down. Yeah, but you're you're an upstanding. You're not some hipster from Brooklyn. You're you served you served in the Navy, right? You're I not sure like did. I mean you're in, you're 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 tall. You you got you're nice and thin, good looking guy. You run a farm with your wife, wholesome, veteran. Navy veteran. I mean, I don't think it's going to be too controversial when you come in there and you start cracking heads. I don't know I, if that's really what the, the people of your town want to hear me say, but I don't think anybody's know. going to listen to this, and that's fine. Right, but fine. here's yeah. what I already did. This here's the crazy thing. This town has used to have a working budget. The entire city, let's call it the city. The city works on a budget of a hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year. Is what they were passing every year as their budget. Huh. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but as a, like in nonprofits, um, I'm the chairman of the board for two other nonprofits here as well. And in nonprofits and in government, you cannot pass budgets that are in excess of your income. Like you can't, you know, you can't pass deficit budgets. Um, and so they're, they're, they're passing a budget for like 170 grand a year in our little town. And then we spend 40 grand and they're like, look at how much money we saved. We should have a ton of money. Well, we only bring in forty grand, so we've been spending exactly what we've been bringing in. But they had no clue because the people who were running it. So this year, I did the budget and I I laid it all out. Like, here's how much money we bring in. Here's how much we do. I laid the finances out, and multiple people of the city commissioners looked at it and were like, "I've never seen this before. I had no idea. Um, this doesn't. I this doesn't even make sense to me." And Look I'm like, you. "Mike, you got to freaking be kidding me!" Because they're You're all. They don't care about the process. They're all bitching about like, uh, well, why don't we have any money? Why is the accounts going down? Why is our CDs being going down? And I'm like, stupid. Look, this is why right here. You have QuickBooks, you know? It takes a financial advisor, knife maker, to pull a town of 160 out of the clink. Right. Make Lafayette so, great again. So, oh, Jesus. So do you have, do you have, <laughs> uh, do you have a police department? No, we have something called a constable, and I have no idea who it is. Okay, what about fire department? He's all yes, volunteer, volunteer fire so, department. So where's that hundred? Where's that hundred seventy thousand dollars go? Obviously, just in the coffers because you guys aren't spending anything. It doesn't go anywhere. We only bring in forty thousand. They're just writing on a sheet of paper. Here's what our spending is for the year: one hundred seventy thousand. We plan to spend that, even though we don't have that money, and. Uh, 
the lady who was doing it was copying and pasting the previous year's budget for the last 11 years. She was just copying and pasting it to the new year. It would never change. So you got money in the bank. We got some money in the bank. Yep. <sighs> I honestly, your life makes me too anxious. And I think that I think that part of it is the fact that you like a little bit of pressure. Yeah. Love it. But the fact, because like, I was thinking before this, I'm like, you got to do the, the goddamn sheep and then the, the animals and then the, the, the vegetables and all that stuff. And then how does he make all these knives? Because I know how long it takes me to make a knife. And then now he's going to, he's going to futz around with all these, this politician business. Yeah. I'm going to ride this all the way to the governor's office. Just wait. Is that true? Is no. this, is this the, just the beginning no, of the, of the takeover? I don't have time. Right. I'm too smart for that. Look at you. You're too smart for that. Now, here's a question I had for you. Last time we talked, episode 35 of Knife Talk, I wanted to ask you a few questions about your service, your military service. You know, my only because as a person who's never served and really did never did any of it, it always interests me. Sure. Now, did you enlist right after 9-11? Is that right? No, I, I was 15 uh, when 9-11 happened, but I knew getting up that morning and watching TV. And I, I mean, I'm in Arizona, so I'm nowhere near what you were. Right. I, I knew at that point at some, at some point in my life, I was going to enlist. So I even went to college for a couple of years before enlisting. Okay. And then you enlisted into the Navy. Right. So when, how old were you, like 18? Uh, 20. 20. So what made you want to go into the Navy? I, it was actually, to be honest, it was a, a last choice. My One of my friends, and he's actually stationed at Fort Campbell right here with me. Uh, I grew up with him. He's a couple years older than me. He and I said, let's go into the Army and let's be Green Berets. Let's let's make this thing happen. We're going to be Good badass. Chip. Yeah, we're going to be badass. It's going to be thunderbolts and hand jobs. It's going to be fantastic. That's what happens in the Green Berets? All right. Well, now, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm too old to join. Correct. Correct. Yes, correct. So they, they, uh, they said, okay, come on, boys, let's do this thing. And they looked at my uh, medical background and said, you were admitted into the hospital for asthma when you were a child. Disqualifies you at this time. For the army. For the army. Okay. And I was like devastated. I was like, oh my gosh. So uh, the Navy recruiter was next door. And I said, well, then I'll go try to be a Navy SEAL. We'll just do that then. And they said, as long as you haven't been in the hospital within the last six months with asthma, you're golden. So I enlisted in that. And did you say when you started writing down, can I come and be a Navy SEAL? Did I say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did they say no problem, kid? You yeah. and your asthma are going to be Navy SEALs. It's exactly what they do. That's Just sign exactly. this bottom line and get the fuck out of here. Get Correct. Show up on the bus. Yeah, yep, nice. you know it because nice. that's where all the guys who end up chipping paint in Okinawa come from. <laughs> that's where they all come from. Is that pipeline? Is the recruiter being like, absolutely, you've got the right height, the right build? I mean, it doesn't matter what you look like. They're telling you all that anyway. Yeah, they and, just want you uh, to sign the dotted line. They just sign up. the dotted line. We got a quota to make. We're going to put yeah. you in. Great. It was like a hundred and twenty thousand dollar bonus if you made it at the time. Uh, for them? I, for no, for me. So if I would have made it as a seal, I would have got a hundred and twenty thousand dollar bonus after um, pinning on my seal trident. That Jeez. was what the bonus was at the time. Look at you. The retaining, the retainment bonus for like current seals at that time was even more. It was like up to four hundred grand. So if you'd already been a seal, 
and you were going to re-enlist, they were paying like up to 400 grand to retain guys. It was crazy. Well, I mean, he's so, so, I mean, you spend all that, you know, time and energy training yeah. someone, you don't want them to fucking leave. Right. You know, it's like, if you're too valuable. Right. So, so where did you go to basic training? Do they do basic training in the, in the, in the Navy? Yeah, they do basic training up in Illinois at Great Lakes. Uh, I think that's the only place they do basic training for a, for a few years now. Uh, and so you go up to Great Lakes and I went up to Great Lakes, I believe it was December 12th, 2006. And so I did basic training in like the coldest, stupidest, uh, climate. Why did I not go in the summer? I always kick myself for well, that. Well, you were but... from Arizona. Yeah. You were not expecting to go to, you know, Illinois. Yeah. And it's like right on the Great Lakes. So that wind whips off the lake. It, I mean, it's, it's absolutely miserable. And I graduated, uh, basic training February 14th, uh, on Valentine's day up there. Yeah. So when did they ship you off to Afghanistan? Didn't get shipped off to Afghanistan. Never. I, I, I went out after basic training. I went over to, um, Coronado Island to try to do the seal, to try to be a seal, went through the indoc there and dropped out right there in indoc. That's What's when I, Indoc? Um, it's like a, it's where they take a bunch of guys, they, they gather you up, and they start to class you up. So you go into actual SEAL, you go into BUDS as a class. And so they kind of, they grab guys who got hurt at some point and had to roll them back. They grab new guys coming in, and they start to class you up. And Indoc, basically, you know what? One of the guys who beat my ass in Indoc, by the way, is a knife maker now. Why me Cutlery? I don't know if huh. you've ever seen Wyme. Um, he's over in Texas now. He retired as a SEAL, but it was his very first, I believe it was, we've talked about this a couple times, he and I have, but I believe it was his very first in-doc class, and he absolutely beat my ass. And um, basically, they beat you to see if you're even going to be able to go into the actual training. So you didn't make it? No. Were you crushed? No. And I did not, I didn't make it because I wasn't physically capable enough. I made it because I'm a huge sob story pansy of a man i I had i had a fiance who lived in texas at the time a guy came in and told us like basically if you do make it it's a single man's unit all the chiefs they've been married four or five times you don't like kiss your family goodbye and and if you have a family already kiss them goodbye if you don't have a family it's not gonna work it's just the reality of it and I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, oh, so that's a, oh, that's a very good reason. Yeah, so I can only imagine the the you you know certain biz, certain jobs, you're so you have to be so committed that it's impossible. It's, I mean, it's, it's there's a lot of people. The restaurant industry is the same way. It's too it's too difficult to have a relationship. Right, it's very difficult. You're exactly right. So what did you do? So then what happened? So then I uh, rang the bell. I, basically, I left and. Um, was that embarrassed? Was that, would that feel bad? Or was nah, like, I'm- you know, at the time, I was pretty confident and comfortable with that decision. I really was. I was like, this is not for me, and it's fine. And, Do you think if you decided to stick through it, you would have gone through? Ah, that's hard to say. And the answer is probably no. Okay. Um, I, At the very least, I probably would have gotten hurt. Um, right. I, the guys who get through, a lot of, not all of them, a lot of times the guys get who get through... Um, they 
they were high school football players. They were right. jocks. They were already, and I was, and I was a swimmer, so I could crush people on the swims. I hated running. I wasn't the strongest guy there, so I probably would have pushed myself far enough that I would have ended up getting hurt, to be honest, uh, hmm. if if not washing out at some other point, you know. Hmm. And I'm fine with that. It's fine. So, but you have made the offer, you know, so, you're, so your fiancé at the time yeah. must have been very, very happy. Oh, stoked. Absolutely stoked. So I, well, except for the fact that when I quit, they said... Okay, Jared, um, you scored really high on the ASVAB. That's that entrance exam. I don't know if you ever had to take that. Uh, no. You take in high school or after high school a lot of times, and it like, it's a standardized test to get into the military. And I, I don't know this for certain, but I believe it's a score of 1 to 99. And if you get a 99, I don't actually think it means you scored 100%. Because I scored a 99 on the ASVAB, but I did not know anything about the mechanical section of that test. So I don't know if they throw out your weakest stuff or if it's on a curve or something, but I had a really good score on there and not because I'm smart. I'm just a good test taker, you know, like give me multiple choice. I can eliminate two answers and then I got a 50, 50 shot, that kind of idea. And they said, you can either go chip paint in Okinawa or we're standing up a brand new intelligence unit out in uh, damn neck, Virginia yeah, called Ground Intelligence, you can go out there and go through Intel Intel school. And so that's what I ended up doing. I went out there. So yeah, my, my fiance was stoked, except for that I got sent across the country to the other coast right? Uh, for a long time. And then went from there into the reserves. And I we used to drill at a naval air station in the middle of Texas. And uh, that's where I did uh, basically all eight of my years. And, and at that naval uh, air station, our little unit was tasked to do, we were tasked to do interesting things like um, come up with the uh, United States entire game plan for if China attacks Taiwan. We need to know everything they can do. We need to know what we're going to do and write it. And we wrote that. Uh, that was one of the things we wrote. And it was like 700 page long thing. So you were doing a lot of research. Oh, tons. I had to know about the culture, the people, what they're historically what they'd done in battle, you know, like everything. It was insane. This all makes it's it's very interesting to me because it also it it highlights the person that you are in regards to the decisions that you've made. The decision that you made to ring the bell for the seals and then going into it and then even the decision to be the mayor these are all you've taken these you've made you've made logical gambles you've 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 taken you've taken the information ahead of you and you made a decision based on well the pros and the cons and then you've made very tactical decisions in regards to your future that's the goal like i try to think about all sides you know come at come at a problem from all the angles if i have time of course to do that and and kind of see what happens. But to be honest with you, I was scared shitless when I went to boot camp, and I was scared shitless when I went out to Indoc. Um, I had no surprised. idea what I was getting myself into whatsoever. And I made it through boot camp by basically keeping my mouth shut, you know? Was it? Did you ever go somewhere and you felt like, I'm never going to come back? Um, you afraid for your life? I, in... And this is going to sound so goofy because I know there's Good. there's going to be listeners that are like in the Don't army, in the Marines that that actually have a hard boot camp because 
The Navy boot camp is not that difficult, to be very honest. I don't know. I have no idea. There I, wasn't was... even, I wasn't even allowed to be a Boy Scout. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to be a Boy Scout. There was a point in boot camp where I thought I was... I literally was scared that I was going to get um, kicked out of the Navy. They were going to put a mark on my record. I'd never be able to get a job at a public place again, like anything. There, Why would you get kicked out? This is... We, I was in an integrated unit, so we had guys and girls in this unit. There was 82 guys on one side of the hallway in a big room like a sardine can, and there was 82 women on the other side. But together, we were one single unit, and so we do all of our training together. Everything happened together. This is in boot camp. Right. I was something called the port watch, and the port, oh, watch, no. the port watch person basically kept the logbook um, people coming and going, what they were doing. And there was a female across the hallway that I'm still friends with today, in fact, and she was the starboard watch. And so her and I had a lot of dealings together because we both kept this book and we, 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 whatever. Um, one day I was talking to her from across the hallway and I turned my back. I turned to to walk away. It was time to go shower. And I untucked my shirt as I turned away and one of the guys, one of our, uh, like RDCs, one of our instructors saw me and said, like yanked me into his office and was like, you were just lifting your shirt up to try to show off your abs, which I had none. And I still don't, uh, to this girl across the hallway. We do like, you are done Thatcher. You're, you're fucking done. What? And I was like, what? All I did was turn and untuck. And he was like, we saw you and there was two chiefs. They came in and reamed me for probably two hours about two, this issue. Because they think that you were trying to show off your abs? Right. That I was like flirting, showing off my abs. Like, I mean, looking today in today's situation and looking back, it sounds, it, it's actually not terrible. It's like, you know, the, right. the respect that you show to those women Right. They're, they're your peers and yes. it's and it's fine. But I wasn't doing that. And I, right. they were telling me, they were sitting me down. We're getting the admiral down here. He's going to oh like God. all this. And I was like, I'm done. My career, my life, I can't work at a school. I can't work in government. Like I'm going to have a dishonorable <laughs> discharge after freaking two weeks in the Navy. You know, like that's it. So what happened? I'm done. One of the guys finally believed me and I had a spotless record in um in boot camp like i was i kept my mouth shut i did what was i was supposed to and they said one more thing thatcher and you are done and at the D- go ahead good no keep going at the end of boot camp in fact i was the one person out of our unit that got chosen to be meritoriously promoted to the next um rank and i so i ended up it ended up fine because i ended up getting you know promoted at the end but for a couple of days there i was on big time watch like i could not do i could not do a thing it was they insane they must have been on they must have been on major you know they must have had to really keep their eye in general on everybody in any perception of of it would it would have been a disaster area yeah and you know what the other thing they do is though they try they take they take the guys who they think are um, 
physical specimens and they break you down in some way or another. They take the guys who are smart and they try to break you down mentally. They try, they want to break you down. They want to find out what it takes to get you onto bottom level so that they can build you back up. How Do you they, think that's what they were doing to you? I think it's exactly what they were doing to me. Um, so you're a physical specimen. At the time, not anymore. At the time, I, at the time, I was pretty good, you know, in good shape, and uh, was smart. And they knew that, and they'd already promoted me into the port um, watch rank uh, at, in boot camp. Anyway, I think they were. There's a story that this one guy that really was a physical specimen. One time, they were doing um, they were doing uh, room checks, and uh, he was just so great at everything. He, he was, he looked like he just walked out of an Abercrombie model. Like he was yeah, just yeah. ripped, you know, good looking guy. And they were doing, um, these, uh, these room checks and they, somebody had something wrong and they said, go get wet and Sandy. So we all ran down to the beach, got wet and Sandy, freezing cold. And when we came back, there was probably one ton of sand in this guy's room. Why? I, we don't know how it got there. We have no idea. I mean, they obviously put it there, and they walked in. They slammed. I don't remember what his name was. It was just. Uh, it was just yeah, it doesn't matter. But they were like, "What the fuck? How the fuck did this get in here? You piece of shit! How I told you to get wet and sandy, and you're supposed to be cleaning your fucking room. How did this? And it's like one ton of sand. Like, of course he didn't bring it in, you know. <laughs> so they did the old, the old. Yep. They just they, they got a pile. They did two other guys with buckets of sand. They just threw, threw sand in his room. In about 10 minutes, somehow. And he quit four days later. That seems very, that seems just, that just, that doesn't seem like it's the most efficient way to keep your guys squared away. I don't know. I mean, he was a physical specimen. They wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to like, that he was, they wanted to break him down because he was such a physical specimen. They wanted to see if he was a mental specimen too. Correct. I mean, you, there's just, I don't know. P.S. When you untuck your shirt, you do have to unzip your pants. You can't just, you know, that that is that is just a, fa- a fact. That is you true. You can't just shove them in. You can't just shove your your shirt tails in. Correct. And at the time, it was winter, so I was wearing like three layers of clothing. So they were all it was everything was bunched in there together anyway. It was it was not good. They were looking they were looking to give you trouble and see if you were going to hang out. Right. See if I could so, handle it. So what was your favorite part of being in the Navy? Do you have a do you have a fond memory or Oh, absolutely. I Go ahead. I like coordinating people. Like I enjoyed, I enjoyed grasp, like having a problem, being in charge of a unit, being in charge of, you know, whatever our, our workshop was and moving these people in the correct direction based on what they do well. You know, I want to give people jobs that they know how to do and that they enjoy and then bringing that all together. And I still do that today. That's the, that's one of the only reasons that, um, that I'm the chairman of the board for a couple of nonprofits is one of them we took and turned around from not making any money to making money. And the other one we started from the ground up. And I like to bring people onto those boards that have certain roles because I, I don't know any of that. I'm not good at any piece for the most part of running the boards. Uh, I'm sorry, of the jobs on the board. I just know that I know enough people that can come together and head in one direction. And that's my favorite thing to do in the world. You like organizing people. Right. And then I walk away when it's done, you know, or, so, or when it's when I can't do it anymore. So you and your wife are alone on that goddamn farm. Yeah. Right. That's why you I, ever... that's why I'm running for mayor and oh, and uh, you. you know, have the You're keep... a very busy guy. Right. I it's it's a little bit it's a little bit 
crazy. Like I always feel like I have opportunities to do things, but then I think I really should be focusing on other things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm older than you too. So that, that's probably one of the reasons. Maybe I think, I I think that I'm, uh, you know, I'm losing time on getting good at one thing instead of fooling around with 10 different things. I sometimes overextend though, and then end up having to pull back and focus on one or two things, just like what you're saying. But sometimes I just like keep adding stuff and adding little things here because I want that challenge. I want, as if knife making is not hard enough as it is and figuring and farming and figuring out stuff and failing. I always like that other challenge in other areas, you know. It is incredible because when I see you and your wife working this farm and doing all the beautiful woodwork for uh, Boot Hill Kitchen and doing the, your beautiful knives, and I'm going to say this because I have proof. I have one of your knives, and it's one of my favorite knives, and it's a little bit shocking how much I like it so much, the performance. <laughs> it, I didn't think I was going to love it as much as I do because it's not the kind of knife that I would normally get. I'm, I'm amazed at, at the amount of time you have to do the things that you do on top of the, I mean, the knife making, I mean, how do you have time to make so many knives a month? I, I probably, I don't get up early either. I'm just not an early riser. If I get up early, like I've, I got up early today. It's because there's a bunch of dead chick. You think there's dead chickens in the, in the field. I don't even want to know what's out there. It's dreadful. I don't even want to go out there, but if I get up early, it's to go ride my bike. I love mountain biking and road biking. If I get up early, it's to go ride. Um, but I probably work on, just like you and I have talked about this before a little bit, but streamlining your process, basically. So you and I have both said, oh, we're talking about making things now, but Fine. we'll be brief. Talk about um, whatever you want. Keep going. We'll be brief. Uh, I got a good boot camp story for you after this whole. I'm ready I, for I just, I just thought. I'm ready for it. So you and I, uh, you hand sand all your knives and I forge all my knives. If, if we had to swap those two things, we could still charge the same amount. But what I can't do is I can't forge my knife and then hand sand it and make the right. same amount of money. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. you spend time in, in whichever place that you want. So so I just gotten efficient at doing that. And, and um, I probably work in the shop from like nine in the morning till four. I always leave the shop at four o'clock. And then I do farm work from four to seven, four to eight, whatever, somewhere around there with, with dinner mixed in. And that's kind of how it, and then when work. are you going to fit in being the mayor? Uh, on Mondays, one, one Monday, a, oh, okay. one Monday a month. For is that going to be, is you, are you going to be sitting around, you know, on a, with a video where the, the town is going to be able to watch you on public access and, and you're going to talk about the bureaucracy? <laughs> I don't know, but I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because here in Peekskill, that's what you can do. You can go on one of these public access channels and they'll run it. And I was like so interested in what was going on. My wife would come upstairs and see me watching this and she's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know because I need to know what's going on in this town. I ended up going to a couple of the, the thing in the meetings and I was like, I can never do this again because I can't just walk out. Right. You, know, you can't, you know, you look like, you know, he's going to walk out when he gets bored. So I put it on TV and then I had, at least I'm just like, I can, I can say this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Or, this is just awful. And I can just come be one of these old guys in a chair bitching about the politics of my town. Right now, our meetings are all streamed live on Zoom, just like many, right. I'm sure, people are doing. And then they take it from Zoom, and our city attorney actually handles this. He he feeds it to Facebook. So the Facebook feed, we've never had this many people attend meetings, and they're they're commenting, and they're saying crazy shit in the comments. Are you, are like, you watching the comments? I do. You can't, no, you can't be. How can you be doing 
Because nobody oh. else does. So if somebody like there's supposed to be those there's there's supposed to be people are supposed to be able to participate in city council meetings. You know, you're like you have the public come and speak. Well, right now, since we can't have that, the only way they can say something or put their opinion on there is that. So I watch my I set my phone on the actual Facebook feed and I watch these comments roll in and I pick the ones out and I bring them up if it's something valid. But some of them that come through, they're not even from this town. They'll live in four towns over, but they want to bitch about something that we just talked about. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. What you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, right. You're going to have to deal. It, it is nonstop. It is going to be nonstop people telling you what you should be doing. Right. Yeah. But you like that. I already am. I already do that. I got my wife telling me things, <laughs> things I want to do all the time. We're talking about. <laughs> so you were you were going to you were going to say that you have a, a, a good boot camp story. Port Watch is the person who schedules all the watch. You always have to have somebody up in boot camp. They're always somebody at nighttime during the day. They're logging visitors uh, in and out, all of that stuff. I was in charge of the people who, and I had to schedule that. One night, so of course I would take the worst watch because I, you know, that's what you do as the as the leader. You take the worst watch. So my watch was from yeah, two to three in the morning. Okay. Oh. So I had a one hour. Okay. It was about an hour, two to three in the morning. I get up, the guy comes and wakes me up from my watch, I get dressed, and I get up, and I look over, and this guy is standing at the end of our bunk, our bunks, there's, I don't know, a ton of bunks in there, uh, he's standing at the end on one foot, like as if he's doing the karate kid kick, you know, yeah. like, or about crane to, kick. the crane okay. kick, he's about to, Yeah. and he's just freaking standing there, and I'm like, hey, I think his name was Ferguson, said, hey, what the hell's going on with Ferguson over there? And uh, the guy was like, I don't know. He's been standing like that for like two hours. And I'm like, are you shitting me on one foot? He's like, yeah, he hasn't moved. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, Ferguson needs to go to fucking bed because we got a tough day tomorrow. Like I go over there and I'm like, Ferguson, like, what are you doing? He's like incoherent. Like can't, it's like he's in a zone. He's in a trance, man. And finally, after probably another 30 minutes, I wake him up out of this trance. And I'm like, Ferguson, you have to. Like you gotta fucking go, go to, to bed. You gotta go to bed, man. And he's like, I was praying, and I was like, to who? And he's like, I, I'm Wiccan. And I'm like, you're who? He's like, I'm Wiccan. And I'm like, what the fuck is Wiccan? And he's like, I'm a male witch. <laughs> and I'm like, you look like a recruit to me. Get in your fucking bed and go to sleep because we got work in the morning. We got work tomorrow. Was he doing this every night? I, I that's the only time I ever saw him do it. So he must have been just under so much stress that he decides to stand up for like two and a half hours praying this Wiccan prayer. After that night, dude went absolutely nuts. He got kicked out of the Navy, I believe, uh, within the next week. And what happened was he started yelling at our... Um, uh, basically, our they call them RDCs. I don't even know what it stands for. He started yelling at our instructor and charged our instructor when our instructor turned his back to him. Somebody yelled, and our instructor turned around with his fist out and absolutely fucking punched Ferguson right in the face and knocked him out cold in boot camp. With one, with one punch. One backhanded punch. It was like a swing around, dink, right in, right in the side of Ferguson's skull. Like, he just... He charged this guy, knocked him out. I never saw his dude again. Well, clearly, praying to the Wiccans is not 
wasn't the best move. He should have been he praying he wasn't going to get fucking knocked out. Well, he clearly <laughs> was. I mean, this clearly wasn't working. Yeah. I mean, his prayers did not come to him unless that was his move. Maybe this was like uh, his way of trying to get out of it. This was his Maybe. way out. Yeah. That yeah. is that a male you know, witch, a warlock, male witch. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I know a few Wiccans, and I try not to talk too much about it. The, the, you, what happens is, is generally speaking, they're they they're. It's almost like you know. I know vegans too, and they're the same way. They'll they'll like they like to kind of promote that. You know, look, you do what you're gonna do. But some of these guys, they like to tell you because they think that it's important that you know, and it isn't ever. It's not important. I right. don't care. You know, it's like, ah, you know, I'm a vegan. Oh, you don't say. Or I do CrossFit. CrossFit uh, people are the same way. Right. Um, I don't, I mean, okay. But Wiccans are the same thing. They're like, oh, what did you do this weekend? Oh, yeah, I was foraging for, you know, you know, weird berries. Oh, really? Yeah, for us, you know, for my Wiccan, for this Wiccan thing for the solstice. Oh, you don't say. And then I stop talking and then they want to keep talking about it. I don't know. I don't know why a Wiccan would want to join the Navy. I, I'm starting to think that Ferguson might have had a few screws loose. I don't think it had nothing to do with being in the Navy. More importantly, why would you join the Navy if you don't know how to swim? He didn't know how to swim. Probably half my class didn't know how to swim. Why what would? Why would you do that? One guy was from Virginia Beach and didn't know how to swim. He was. The, why would you join the Navy if you don't know how to swim? I don't know. I, I have asked myself that question well, many times over the years. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So if guy can, if a guy's a Wiccan, joins the Navy and get, gets kicked out, do you thank him for his service? I will. I'll ask Ferguson next time I run into him. Have you run? Do you know no, him? No. Oh, no. All right. Well, we're not. We're, <laughs> I, you know what, Ferguson? God bless you. Thank you for. I mean, I mean, Wiccan. Thank you. Wiccan bless you. I don't know what you do. Yeah. Whatever. Whoever it is, Broomhilda. I'm with you. Right. And you know. So what's the next step? What's the next step with you guys? So 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 the knife business. I know that you did some knives with um, Buffalo Trace. Yes. And bourbon you, is my jam. Bourbon is your jam. That's the other thing. How do you have time to drink? Because you you have an incredible collection of bourbon. And I've actually seen a video of you chugging bourbon. How'd that make it out there? I forgot about that. <clears throat> you, 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 well, it was funny. And I, and I would hope that you and Kylie would do more Instagram stories because what, what had happened was you had been left alone. Oh, and yes. You, and she left and you thought, and you kept doing these stories thinking that you weren't going to make it, you weren't going to live the day because she wasn't there to make sure that you were okay. She's gone and right now, the, in fact. And at the end of the night, <laughs> and at the end of the night, you said, well, that's that. You pull up this bottle of whiskey and you chugged a, a substantial amount of it. Yeah. Yep. That's, there are, there are bourbon groups online, on Facebook, all over, and it's getting more and more popular. And I'm in many of these groups and we pick barrels of bourbon. We go to the distillery. You taste through, I just did one on Saturday. You taste through all these barrels you pick one, the the one that you like, that gr the group likes, and you end up buying that whole barrel. And then they bottle it for you, of course, and you pay for it. And barrels are anywhere from, I don't know, seven to $12,000, somewhere in there, to purchase the barrel. And you split it up between the guys in that group. So I've got lots of bourbon um, from being in those groups like that and, and, uh, and picking barrels and just 
knowing good people. And what's funny is it's trickled over into the knife business. So now Buffalo, you know, we did the video with Buffalo Trace. Right. Lots of the bourbon guys are home cooks or they like cooking or they want bourbon barrel on their knife handle or whatever. And so I do a ton of that kind of stuff. I'm making stuff for distilleries um, pretty often now. And it just, all the worlds clash, you know, clash into one thing. Well, it's, you know, the whole bourbon world and the custom knife business, it kind of, it does fit well. And I have gotten, uh, I've gotten, I th- I've gotten, a, there's a few of us who've gotten some Buffalo Trace heads. And I got a, I got one from a chef, Linton Hopkins. He was friends with uh, Julian uh, Van Winkle. And I got a, bu- I got a uh, head and I made knives with him and I had a little bit on the side. Um, but oak, oak does work really well on a knife handle. It's fantastic. I love it. And speaking of Julian Van Winkle, one night probably four years ago we went to a bourbon event up near cincinnati it was on the kentucky side though and uh at after a long night of drinking bourbon tasting things or whatever the the night ended with me and my wife kylie and julian van winkle sitting at a table just the three of us at two in the morning and we were chugging out because we didn't have glasses because the restaurant had closed down. We were chugging out of a bottle of Four Roses called an Al Young bottle. And one, so we thought we were the only three there. And one of my friends, Jason, all of a sudden, I haven't seen Jason in hours. He walks out of the kitchen of this restaurant. I don't even know how he got in with prosciutto ham sandwiches in his hands, like four of them. And he's like, I just scraped these up. And the four of us sat there with Julia smashing bourbon and eating these sandwiches at two in the morning look at you yeah he he could care less about me by the way but julian loves my wife julian julian van winkle is he's i guess he's the he's the oldest of the van winkles now he's got to be he's a good dude he sent me a real nice letter he we were supposed to do something with him and he he he, he's very firmly a quentin middleton man he really is he's a very which i'm gonna have on in two weeks quentin is the best just the best dude. And if you can, you get him to do his Geechee boy impression for you. Um, it's, it is hilarious. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to definitely try to remember that. Yeah. I'll text it to you. So at this point I figured I got a lot of questions from our listeners and I thought maybe we could go through some questions, some dilemmas and see where this takes us. Let's do it. That sound good. Let's do it. All right. The first question comes from Mr. Rob Lebowski. He says, would you rather be proud of something that you make and never sell or something that you hate that sells really well? What would you rather do? Um, something that I hate and sells really well because it's a fucking business. I'm not in this to, to you know, to do the master smith thing or whatever and get my name in a museum. Like, I'm proud of something even if I hate it I, and I sells really well. Absolutely. I'm in. I, You know what? I feel the same way and I've done it because as a, well, it's funny because when I was doing sculpture, I make a pile more money selling sculpture than making knives. The difference is at a volume. I mean, in regards to one sculpture, I can make more money on a sculpture than I can. The problem is I I can sell way more knives than I can sculpture and I'm getting the same rush. Mm. Do I hate making knives? Of course not. I love it. Right. But I get, I've never been able to have the amount of constant volume on sculpture than I have with knives. I mean, I did pretty well in the beginning. I was making all these giant lures and stuff like that, but it got to the point where I was like, I had a gallery, and the gallery's doing well until it stopped doing well. 
And so, you know, and it was just like, it became very difficult. So I think that I'm, I've gotten past the whole making something that I love and not selling it. I've gotten past it. And now I would prefer to make something that I hate to sell. And that's a totally like, most people are just like pulling their hair and saying, how can you feel that way? I only have like two knives in my own kitchen that I've ever made. I don't keep anything. Like I don't, why would I? I it's a business, you know? We're the same exact way. I, I've, I've, I end up getting the dingers and I give them away. Right. That's exactly what I do. And then I'm just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, one thing I hate to, I think that it's important to do, especially if you're a knife maker, is to not be um, uh, sentimental about your work. Because I really feel that, and this was something with sculpture. I mean, my father was an incredible painter. He never went into, he went, never had a gallery. And he could have. He had people who wanted to do shows of his work. And he was like, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. And he pushed it away. But he was an incredible painter. And I was always convinced later in life it was because he felt like this, this particular painting or this group of paintings that he couldn't do better. And it got to the point where he felt as if it ain't going to get better than this. And I think it was it stunted him creativ- uh, creatively and it stunted him as a you know fragile ego that this is as good as I can do. I don't want to you know depress myself and not do it again. So right. he, was, he refused to sell his work for that reason. And I always felt like that was a total um, it was a total sa- um, sabotage because you have to have that a that a feeling that the next one's of course is going to be better. Right. So you don't, you don't, you know, I, when I was making these giant lures, I'd have a, in the beginning, I'd have a favorite. I didn't want to say, ah, I don't want to sell this one. Ah, this one's too good. And then all of a sudden it was just like, you, if you feel like you can't do better than that, you might as well pack it in. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I just don't keep my own. It, there's Maybe I've got a different hobby where I like, you know, would make things or keep them for myself or whatever, but Boot Hill Blaze is a business. So, right. yeah. Wow, this is the reason why I come to you because I feel the same way. I feel like I had my chance with the sculpture, and I really wanted that. My new sculpture is trying to make this business. That's my sculpture. I'm trying to make this business a profitable business, as opposed to, you know, making a, you know sculpture. Right. I it doesn't interest me anymore. Now, now I want that's the sculpture to me is the actual business. We got a dilemma here. This is an anonymous dilemma. I've been telling people if you want to write me questions or dilemmas for my for the people on the show, um, just write. Go to Instagram, Full Blast Podcast, and then you send me a DM. And then if you just say at the end, it's like, "Hey, listen, I you know I'm cheating on my wife. I don't want to talk about it. You know, just put your put a d- anonymous on there. I've had a couple of those. All right. So this anonymous one comes from. Here's my an- anonymous dilemma. Me and my wife had a little girl 20 months ago. This is um, my parents' one and only grandchild. At the time, my mom was great with her, but my dad didn't show any interest. I thought, oh, well, he probably isn't into a baby that cries all the time. But now that my daughter's coming up on two, she's a lot of fun. She's, she runs around. She's in the garden playing games. It's just a happy girl. And my dad isn't interested in her at all. Doesn't come to visit. Doesn't ask how she is on the phone. I thought this might be a generational thing where he relays to to my mother to make effort with the grandchild. But my wife's dad is great. And, oh, my wife's dad is great. Even looks after his own. Um, um, but my fa- to my father, should I pull the trigger? Uh, wait, should I pull your, to my dad, should I pull your finger out of your ass and make an effort? I know it was a weird way to say it, but um, what should he do? When I think that this should come naturally, or should I just accept he's not into her and tell tell him to do uh, something 
He doesn't know what to do. His his dad is not interested in his kid. Does he tell the dad to say something? Or is it just the way it is? I don't it's fucking know what question. to do. This is a really strange question. This is like, this is well, a it's, deep. It's bummed him out. He's bummed out because he's got this great kid. And I'm his bummed dad out. doesn't show any interest. I'm bummed out just by listening to this question. People are, listen, people, people have real, you know, the worst thing about, about this is when I was younger, I always used to think parents are people older than you are always right. They know what you're supposed to do. And I was given this, the point of, oh, he's a parent and he's an adult. Listen to him. He knows better. And all of a sudden, when you get older and older and older and you start to realize oh, we've been lied to, these people are just as the biggest assholes as they were when we were younger. Right. So in my opinion, I would I would belly up to the bar and basically tell him to fuck off. I would tell him like this is some bullshit. This is your only granddaughter, your only grandkid at all. If you want to have a relationship, you're you you need to be there. That's what I would do. I would tell him like you need to be there. I don't give a shit how much you, you know, don't want to be here or don't enjoy this or whatever. You need to be here. I'd have that man-to-man discussion. Just lay it out. I think I would just be like, all right, you don't like my kid? I don't like you. It's enough. Well, a- after that I, I discussion, would, if that's where that discussion it's, it's heads, it. fine. Yeah. That's it. Show it. I mean, it's like, it's enough. You know, I wouldn't, I don't even think I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. I would just say, look, it's not working. It's enough. Go ahead. Live your life. You don't need us anymore. Right. Ugh. Right. I agree. Right, here's another anonymous. Are you ready for another anonymous dilemma? Everyone's like, they're sending us the crazy shit. All right, here's my dilemma. My friend is in an abusive relationship for several years, which ended... Re- <laughs> this, I'm telling you, Jared, this is what happens. I'm sorry, you're it's the, not funny. It's not it funny. is super funny, and you're the mayor now, so this is this is your King Solomon moment. Cut the you're baby gonna have in to half. Be making these, right. You're going to have to be making these decisions right? because you're now... in a, in a You're the mayor. Jared Thatcher, you're the mayor. <laughs> That'll be the name of the podcast. Jared Thatcher, you're the mayor. All right, so here's my dilemma. My friend is in kind of an abusive relationship for several years, which ended recently when he called the police on his girlfriend because she was throwing flower pots at him, and she ended up and she ended up getting arrested. He got her arrested. Now he kind of wants to get back together with her. How do I convince him to stop being stupid? And what insults do I use in the process? So the dude is being abused. The dude is being abused. The girlfriend's throwing shit at him. <laughs> he called the cops on her. They arrested her loony ass. And then now, let's just say it. <laughs> let's just say it. She's too good. She's so good at whatever she does. He needs her crazy ass back. What does his friend do? I, I, what does his friend do to help this dummy? Get back with this obviously crazy person who's most likely there's a reason why he wants her back. I, as men, most of us, many of us, put whatever you want on it, make calculated decisions anyway. Like guys don't make emotional decisions maybe as often. Like that's that's kind of how we deal with, you know, like well, you wives. Don't, you don't make emotional decisions. You're the man of, you're the best person to make a decision. Well, I mean, you know, like a lot of times women will make emotional decisions. Okay. So guy, a lot of times guys don't, but it could go either way really. But let's just say that this guy is your normal go to the gym, meathead guy, and he's making right. calculated decisions. He has already determined that whatever she does well is worth it to get shit thrown at him, let him go for it. 
I don't give a shit about that guy. <laughs> Let him you, go for you, it again. Listen, your friend knows something you don't know. That's really what it comes down to. Your friend right. knows something about this girl that you don't know and you don't realize your insults are not going to matter. Right. She has some sort of skill or money or something. I'm saying skill because yeah. money, you don't need to throw pots. You don't need to throw pots if you have money. <laughs> I think there's some sort of uh, inalienable. There's a talent and a skill that you as a friend who's insulting him will not be able to insult him enough to for, for him to forget this incredible skill that she clearly has. Right. It's over. It's over, dude. Let your him go. Friend, your friend is your friend is completely he is he is hypnotized and there there is something that you can't possibly do. You better have a better talent to be to beat out her talent or you got to find someone for him that has better talent than the, the other crazy one. But it's not going to happen because the crazy ones usually have a talent that is it's hard to beat. I understand. You got to let him go. You got to let your you friend gotta let go. go. You got to let him go. You got to let him go. You got to let him go. You don't you can't do any you, there's nothing you can't say or do right. that will that will make this guy realize that he's making a huge mistake, but it might not be a huge mistake in the beginning. He he knows what he's up to and he's just going to have to get he's going to have to call the cops on her again. It might be worth it. Yep. For him. So there you go. All right. You don't need him anyway. You don't need a friend. Yeah. Leave, yeah, leave him alone. Yeah, leave, leave him, him alone. alone. He's gonna make. This is a guy who makes bad bad decisions, and that's just the way it is. And this is another one. I know. I know somebody who had been arrested by his woman, and they're back together. That happens. Something. These are damaged people. Fine. Love no it. Problem. I'm with you. 100. Love it. Um, this one comes from Adam Cipher. This is one I had before, but I still like it. I just wanted to say I love the podcast, and my question is, what is the craziest thing anyone has ever asked you to make? Have you ever had to make anything? Yeah, and I actually, I listened, I remember this question from last, um, yeah. maybe last episode or maybe two ago. Um, I don't know that this is that crazy, but there is a guy out there that is collecting miniature cleavers from every maker. Huh. He may listen to this podcast for all I know. He doesn't. Um I think he listened. I think he listens to Knife Talk at the very least, though. But for whatever reason, this dude wants to have a mini cleaver. And when I say mini, like he wants a two-inch blade, like two, like tiny cleaver, and he wants to collect them from every knife maker just randomly. So, mm. so I built him one. Fuck it. So is it like mini? As in, like it's for like a doll? It's for nothing. Or it's like just small. It's for nothing. It's for to put on his shelf. Oh, so but it's like a miniaturized big cleaver. Yes. Look. Yeah. I mean, it is a it is a fun, you know the the concept of the collection is very funny, and it I mean it isn't funny, but it's like it is captivating. Yeah. Because I was when I was a kid, comic books. I had to. I bought so many comics. Same books. thing. Same. And I needed. I needed there. To, I need the. I needed them to be numbered. I, I needed them to be in serial. So I had to constantly Wednesdays, I go down a forbidden planet in the city and I get, I'd get my comic books and I would just, I, I got very compulsive about this concept of the collection. And when I started making sculpture, my sculpture were in batches, like the giant lures were in Ooh. giant schools and that one wasn't enough and I needed to be a wall with 20 of them on. And it wasn't that compulsion for the collection is intense, you know, right. super intense. Right. 
Right, and it, and uh, and and then it gets expensive. I used to buy the old Superman comics. I used to have like, you know, comic book number twenty or whatever yeah. of that super, and it's insane. I don't. I'm a big collector of things. I've got eight hundred thousand baseball cards up in the attic. Really? I mean, and my favorite. I have fifty or sixty of one card. It's my favorite card in the world. It's Billy Ripken, Cal Ripken Jr.'s little brother, and it's Billy Ripken, and he's standing uh, with his bat on his shoulder like a normal baseball picture, and on the end of his bat, underneath his hand, it says, fuck face, on the bottom of his bat. (laughs) Wait, does it, wait a second, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Was it meant to, it was was an error that they didn't see that it said fuck face on his bat? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And there's been multiple stories over the years of how it got there. He used to say that his brother, Cal Ripken, wrote it on there before Picture Day and knew about it. And then he said, no, this is just how I always label my bats. But the best part about it was that Tops missed it. And they printed thousands of them with fuckface on the bottom. And then they caught it and they put a black box over it. And then they tried to edit it again and put a gray box over it. And then they edited it out all the way. So there's like five or six different versions of the same card. So is it a valuable card? No, it's not Billy Rip. It's our shit. And I love it. It's my favorite. How many of those do you have? Probably 50. Send a, send me a, so you got to send me a picture of it for the, for the I'll send podcast. You one. That is unbelievable. That's, that, you know, that is, there's, I, you know, part of me is starting to think that the, the concept of the collection, um, has to do with what you do and what I do. There's a, there's, there's this concept of organization and it's a need. The concept of a collection is having control over yourself. And, and we're at, you know, this particular time in our lives with COVID-19 is very interesting because in the beginning when we were starting the quarantine and, you know, we were, you know, it was terrifying. My wife was on the front lines and I was worried about her and my kid wasn't going to school we lost so much normality where we were that we we had no control over it to the point where we were sort of starting to self-soothe and a lot of that was i was drinking a lot mm-hmm. like that was like i was looking at the recycling bins and it was like i need to calm down there was like a ton and i was and i was just like i was going to my my friend steve's to the liquor store i was getting a bottle of jameson's maybe a bottle of tito's i was going to the supermarket and I, i'm going to have i'm going to and then i was cooking the way we don't normally eat was I was making a lot of comfort food and I was making, I was drinking a lot of beer and I was drinking a lot of whiskey and I, I noticed it. And I was like, all right, we need to like stop all this comfort food and comfort because it's like, it's becoming a little bit destructive. I mean, I wasn't having, I don't think I don't have a problem, but it was just like, I don't normally drink, you know, a bottle of Jameson in a week. You know, it, it's like right. all of a sudden now I am, I, that's, that's never been the case. So let's just, you know, knock it off. But what I found out, so so my opinion was with my kid especially, who was she's been out of school for six months, you know, been home, she hasn't seen anybody. Right. She started to take control of her life because her life wasn't in control. So she started running. She's back on this competitive swim team. She painted her room by herself. She wanted just tips on how to do it. I gave her all this tape and I got her all this stuff. She did it all herself. She needed this degree of control for normalcy. And I'm convinced that the concept of the collection is almost the same thing. You know, Kylie control over something. Kylie and I killed 38 bottles in quarantine. And then we stopped counting. 
38 bottles of bourbon and rye. And then we since, stopped since counting. April. Well, when, yeah, when we go into quarantine, late, late March or whatever. And then, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then was that, was that more excessive than you were normally at? Probably because we don't see, uh, we didn't see a lot of people. Like a lot of times I've got, I've got a lot of bottles in that bourbon collection and we see people all the time. We've got people at our house. They stay here all the time. And so, you know, we kill them off here or there or whatever, but the main thing is I didn't have anything better to do than to count them. And we hit 30, I think, I believe we hit 38 and then I and stopped who said counting. Stop count- and who said stop counting? You said I'm not going to count anymore. It's enough. Yeah, I just stopped. I was like, this is uh, depressing me sort of. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. Not because of how much I was drinking, because of how many great bottles I was killing. That was what the problem was. I was like, I, I'm, I'm killing off all these fantastic bottles. I got to slow this down. I'm not going to have any bourbon left. We used to brag all the time, like, I got enough bourbon to last me two years, something. Well, the results came out, and, and in fact, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't have enough bourbon to last me one quarantine. Oh, my God. Well, you know, you know, this is interesting because there's, you know, people talk about the quarantine 15, and they're eating all this food. And it, I tell you what, when, when we were in the midst of it, it was very, very soothing to have something that we really wanted to eat. Because there was that immediate gratification, and I've just recently found out for some from some professional doctors, what do you think the, another way that people are self-soothing that are they're doing the quarantine to kind of make control over their lives? What's growing? What's growing in our population? Hmm. Am I guessing? Go what ahead. I think- Go ahead. Um. Oh, well, if it's not alcohol and it's not food, it's got to be biking. Oh, it's STDs. Oh, my God. They're collecting STDs? No, not collecting them, but it's growing. People are (laughs) self-soothing. People are self-soothing, and they're fucking everybody. And they're getting the STD rate is going out of the control. Like, there's gonorrhea and, and, like, chlamydia and all this bullshit because people are, like, they need some degree of of connection with people. But you're so supposed fucking, to be quarantining. I'm telling you, this is the big thing. This is gonna you're gonna see in the next few years. You're going to see that the rates of STDs are higher because these people need some fucking connection. Holy and they're, crap! They're, I'm telling you, this is huge. This is like this doctor friend of mine said to me. This is be, gonna become a, such a huge. You're gonna be hearing stories about the growth of STDs in in, in quarantine. I would never have guessed that. You're supposed to be well, quarantining. You, I, I figured you're talking about. I figured you're talking about alcohol, and you're talking about food. Yeah. The next thing you're talking about is banging somebody. God. You know? That's why the crazy guy, the guy with the crazy girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, he knows some. Maybe it was worth it. You know, it was maybe it was worth it. Right. Dudes, dudes collecting STDs. Well, I don't with know. Fuck face written I, on them. I would just say that. <laughs> I would say that they're probably not trying to collect them. I think it's just a matter of fact. <laughs> I think they're like, listen, we're going to self soothe, and mm-hmm. then we're also going to have to go to the doctor. So you're saying people are just withholding more information from each other than normal in quarantine? Oh, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are people are acting in excess. Yeah. You know, they're having these moments of like they're eating too much or they're drinking. Drink the drinking is an issue. The drinking is an issue all over across the country because people are just totally. Oh yeah. Um, they're totally, um, it's too much. I mean, they don't have nothing else to do. 
you know, so they're just sitting at home. And and I don't know if you ever did one of those goddamn Zoom cocktail parties. I've been to a couple of those. They you can you you can never get me out fast enough. <laughs> and the hardest part is, you know, you go to a regular party, and then you know it's like it's time to leave. You do the old Irish goodbye, and you say goodbye to the host, and you leave. You're at a Zoom cocktail party. You got to sit there. Oh my god! You can't go anywhere. You can't leave. And you're just and looking just like, at each other. And every and then you can't roll your eyes. You can't make it's enough already. What I got to talk to now? Who I got to talk to now? It's the they're they're terrible. They're terrible. They're, and so so everyone's just sitting around and they're drinking all the time. And now apparently they're having sex. That is insane. I never would have guessed that. Oh, I never there's going to be that. when this wow. is all said and done. When this is all said and done. The studies of all the things that are going to happen, not to mention these kids being dumber than they were before they went into quarantine. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be some incredible stories of, you know, madness. All right. Here's another one. This is another, uh, this is another anonymous dilemma. When I started forging, it was a hobby. I just wanted to learn a new skill. Very quickly, I realized that this hobby could pay itself. Just like you know, you and I both felt uh, with knives, and possibly more by specializing in that certain item. As time gone by, time has gone by, making that particular item has become a decent revenue stream, and it's getting old making the same thing over and over again with little variation. What advice do you have to stay motivated and keep things fresh so you don't get burnt out on doing something that you like? So the guy likes what he's doing. He's fig- or girl. He's figured out something that he likes. He's good at it, and then he he's making money. But all of a sudden, it's like he's just getting burnt out a little bit. How do you keep stay motivated and make this something that you still love to do? I like that question, and I've dealt with that many many times in life. So I don't. I don't. <laughs> There's two sides of this. There's in my thinking. There's two thing. There's two pieces to this. Does doing the same thing over and over again that you're actually good at, and you do get some sort of enjoyment out of, but you know it's kind of getting old. Does that pay and allow you to do something else that you enjoy doing and move you in a different direction? Does it does it create a platform for you then to jump off and do something else? If so, continue doing what you're doing, especially if you're good at it, and keep making that stupid thing because at the end of the day, it's a business. You're not a fucking artist. You're making something, whatever it is. Right. Do it. On the flip side of that, if it's making you loathe your life, you hate walking into the shop, you cannot stand what you're doing and and making this thing or whatever, par it back a little bit, keep doing it until you create something new, something else that can take that revenue streams streams place until you can move that new thing into that revenue stream. Experiment, but don't take out all your time. Don't just quit making that one thing because that's your baby. That's your that's your money maker. It is hard to feel like you found something and you can make a couple bucks at it, and then all of a sudden you feel like this is now this is becoming a job. Mm-hmm. And now what do I do? That is a that is a lousy feeling. You got to find something to replace that with, though. That revenue stream with, you know, I think at least if it's your well, if it's your job, I guess if you're just jacking around in your in your shop, who gives a shit? Make whatever you want, right? Well, but he's found something that pays this for is itself. The, this is the money maker, right. and he used to love it, and now I feel like he's, he's starting to resent it. This is probably Alex Steele. This is probably a question <laughs> from Alex de- Steele. 
I'm sorry, Alec. I know you wanted me to keep it anonymous. He doesn't listen but to I know this. That, uh, I know that you wanted to keep it anonymous, but that's the way it is. He doesn't listen to this anyway. We're fine. I'll get this. I'll get that little bastard on this podcast. I'll tell you that. Is he, I will, is he I your will B-list get... actor? <laughs> no, he's not my B-list. I have a. B- I haven't. I don't just keep. My, I got to keep my trap shut. I, I got it. Somebody. I, I got it. Somebody. I'm working. I'm your on. B-list actor. You, you're the mayor. You're the. You're in the. You're the. You're the highest level politician I will ever have on this. I'm podcast. your B-list actor. I was almost on a Disney show. Wait a second. You're stop the stop the. Wait. Let me just. Let me. We're gonna. Let, we're gonna go back to this. We're gonna talk about. The young actor, you know, who cares? Here's my opinion about the answer to the question. I I like to focus on the business being the business. I'm, Jared and I are very similar in that. It is an art. Right. And I do like the idea of focusing on making the business better in order for the whole thing to be more successful. Mm-hmm. I like I, – I, I also feel like that expression, learn how to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, is very, very good. Right. You don't have to love everything. Totally agree. Good man. To, if you got something good, and don't fuck it up, and it's and we're in, we're in a, about to have an economic collapse, and people are still buying it, don't stop the train. Keep the train going. Yep, that's what I have to say. You got to do, and you got to do whatever it takes to make it more enjoyable. Right. Now, let's hear about young Jared Thatcher of the Disney TV show. I thought I was going to be an actor growing up the entire time. Growing up, I didn't want to be a basketball player. I didn't want to be an astronaut. Wanted to be an actor. Wanted to be in movies. Wanted to do the whole thing, you know? So you went did plays in school? Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, the peak of which was um, <laughs> uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, an old Cary Grant movie. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie or, or seen that play, but... I've heard of it. It's Yeah, it's a couple of old women who poison people in their house that they think are not good people. And uh, he's their nephew and uh, and finds out about their plot and he starts hiding bodies, whatever. That was like the, the peak of it. And in high school or right after high school, um, eh, it was in high school, I was a senior. My mom and dad said, okay, if this is what you want to do, you need to get an agent. You are right. I need to get an agent. So they hired an wow, agent. Super supportive. Oh, yeah. They're just wait. It gets even better. They, uh, they they hire an agent that looks exactly like Candace Bergen. You know who she is? Yes. Okay, Bert Murphy, Murphy Brown. Brown. Correct. Right. It looked exactly like her. I'm. It might have been her for all I know. They hire this agent, and they get you do the. It's a complete sham. You do the acting classes. You pay for them. They do. You know, they take you to these conventions and they spread around your headshot and all this BS. Oh, and, such a scam. Oh, it's such a scam. And once a year, my wife will post my headshot on like social media still today. And I don't know where she keeps that picture because I can't and find it. how old were you? 17? 16, oh, 17? Boy. Yeah. Pubescent. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This a little bit, Still a little bit baby faced. Oh, totally. Had hair, okay. which was okay. nice. Glorious okay. hair. Good looking tall kid. Yeah. And good uh, name. Strong strong jawline. It was fine. It was all right. And, right. So, uh, the, so this so this Fakakta yeah. agency hires you oh, to, yeah. to drag you around and they're telling you you're gonna yep. be a star. Correct. They're dragging me out around telling me I'm gonna be a star for a couple of years. I hit eighteen oh. I hit eighteen years old and I go to Manhattan. I get to stay uh at a doing a convention and like some acting classes in New York City in Manhattan for the summer of my 18 
my parents said, it's going to cost about five grand to do it. Here's the deal. We will pay for you to go to this, but that's in lieu of your first year of college. Like this is, we're either paying for college or we're paying for this, but not both. So this is how, where the supportive. So you had comes to make in. the decision. Yeah, I had to make that decision as an eighteen-year-old. So what do you think I'm going to do? College? Are they going to send you to for five Gs? Very true. Uh, the one I went to ended up only costing nine grand a year, but still, it, you know, nowadays it's insane. But so they paid for this, and it ended up being more than five grand, I'm sure, uh, after food and everything. And we go to um, New York City, did a little ad for. Um, oh gosh, what's that place called on? Um, I don't know, a place on Fifth Avenue, did a little print ad for that thing and actually met somebody who knew somebody at Disney and they were going to cast this new show called, I believe at the time, the pilot was called Wizards of Haversham Hall. And they were like, we want your tape. We want your video. We want your tape. So we, we recorded a freaking tape on a VHS, you know, um, gave us a script read it on the VHS, we sent it off, made it through the first round of cuts, made it through the second round of cuts, me and three, two other guys, three of us total. Did you know the two other guys? Nope. Never met them before in my life, but I was by far the least good looking and youngest looking one out of these three guys <laughs> by far. With the shittiest agent. With the shit. Yeah. With, she didn't even know. Like, yeah, yeah it's terrible. Uh, but at least you look like Candace Perkin. There's that. Fine, yeah. And uh, okay. So we go. So, yeah. We go to L.A. and all three of us shoot. Oh my God! You have to go to L.A. Your parents gonna shill up out money for you for you to go to L.A. No, too? at this point it's on Disney's. It's on Disney's tab oh. at this point. Go to yeah, L.A. Mickey Dick. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely taking it. Uh, go out there, shoot the pilot, and who else was in it? Who else was in the in the show? Anybody that we would know? No, because they scrapped it after the pilot, right? Four, maybe five years later, they bring it back, shoot a new pilot, and it's now called Wizards of Waverly Place. And my fucking my kids, kids watch. watch of course show. they all do. Every like it's like the most popular, one of the most popular Disney shows ever been. What's her? Uh, there's a famous girl on there that's a singer as well now. Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez stars and. Uh, and I almost was famous. So do you know, do you know, do you remember? So you were, you were in the, the bullshit version where Wizards of Havistram Lane. Correct. Do you know, do you know, do you remember the part you were reading for? Yeah, I was reading for um, the brother of Selena Gomez in the current version of the show. Um, he's got an old, she has an older brother. But what's funny is I looked younger. I don't know. They probably did it, you know, I don't know how the setup was, but I was reading for the part of the older brother in it. And did, did this, did this, did this, did this agent ever get you any work? Nothing. Not how much, single... how much, and then your parents were paying her, paying them anyway, right? I'm or, sure. I'm positive. So I don't you think, what do you think, what do you think they were into this, this, this agent for? Oh, just to the agent, just to the agent, gotta be at least 10 grand. Just to the agent. Five grand just to go to New York. Five. That's in addition. Like at least in ten addition, grand so just to the agent. And then five grand to go to New York. Probably more than five grand to go to New York, technically. A couple different um, acting things. So, I mean, they gotta be, it's got to be 20, 25 grand. So, so who made the decision that, Jared, this isn't for you? 
Uh, was it you or do your parents be like, hey, listen, hey, listen, river, rivers of uh, wizards of Haver, Haverstraw Lane, yeah. this ain't happening. <laughs> right. No, uh, I where I went to high school, I was a big fish in a little pond because I was the only straight male guy in drama. So I would get all those lead roles. Right. So when I got to college, I tried out for some plays and some different things at college and I and I was in one of them. But I quickly realized that, um, yeah, it wasn't anything special. So <laughs> I want to know when you were in school, did you ever say to your friends, ah, "I can't, I can't hang out this weekend. I got to go to New York with my agent." Oh, absolutely. I, if I had so a that, Facebook, I would have put out? it on my Facebook profile. <laughs> you know, how did that turn out? How did that turn out? Hey, oh. hey Jared, you want to come? You want to come? We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go bowling. I can. I'm going to L.A. with Mickey. They. Now I got Mickey's dick far up my ass, and I got to go to Beyond Wizards of Waver Straw Lane. I tried to keep that extremely secret low-key because I was already being made fun of in high school for being the only male straight actor in drama class. You know what See, I mean? But you know, so. I, I don't know if I could have, I don't know if I could have kept that secret. I, I think I would have, I think I would have needed the recognition. See, but you went to, I went to an all boys school. So we, we were just, when I did acting, it was strictly to meet the girls at the girls school because we had no uh, other, yeah. you know, so if I were in that situation, I had an agent, I guarantee you, I would have been, you know, dropping that nugget as often as I can, hoping, yes, you're going to clear a few people out, but then you might get some of those, you know, like that dude with his crazy girlfriend, he might, you might get a couple of, you know, maniacs with talent. And I think that's what you're going for. I, I, I can't think, I can't think that I would have been, um, that I would have been uh, humble. Uh, humble. Oh no, 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 for sure not. For sure. Hey Jeff, what are you up to? Nah. So my, I mean, the only thing I was ever in was I went to this goddamn. I, I got offered to be into. Uh, I tried out for the movie Blue Lagoon Two with Mila Jovovich. I love it. I I never got to actually meet her, and it actually caused a huge problem for me because it was because my sister knew the. My sister had a bookstore in 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 New York, Lower East Side, and she a uh, Lower West Side, and f- funnily enough, uh, it is on Waverly Place. So you're talking about <laughs> where's where a Waverly Place? Her bookstore, Three Lives and Company, was on Waverly Place. Of course, legitimate, it was. and I didn't even realize it until just this minute. So she knew this. Uh, sc- um, the, uh, uh, a casting agent, and then she was talking. And my sister used to get famous people used to come to her bookstore: Madonna, Madonna, and and uh, uh, Matt Dillon, and all these famous people used to come to their bookstore. So this casting agent, oh, I'm looking for this young kid, and, blah, blah, blah. and my sister said, "I got my dumb brothers. He's a, he's okay. You know, why don't you have him come down?" I went down, I read it, and my sister acted as my agent, and I got cat. I got call back but the funny thing was is i'd only been in school play so i didn't know how to talk normally that's the thing it's these kids they learn how to do acting and they think everything's like an act like an acting like a play yeah so you speak very you know like over you don't speak like normally and then in the movies they want you to speak normally but this bulagoon 2 was like you know this is the guy who was in it and mila jovovich which would have been incredible I still, I still, you know, lust after her a little bit, even to this day. We're still the same age, and we would have been in the oh, Fiji gosh. Islands, fooling around under waterfalls, yep. 
for the summer. Missed it by that much. I missed it because we didn't have a real agent. I think if I had your facocked agent, I probably would have gotten it. Right. If Murphy Brown was representing you, we would have landed all that shit. They were going to dye my hair. They were going to like, I was going to knock me brown and I was going to have blonde hair. It was going to be great. And I didn't get it. And the real problem was my school was furious because I kept, and because we were talking about you know, dropping bombs, I used to say, I used to have to leave to go to these events, you know, or, or to an, you know, I read in front of an agent or read in front of a casting. I, I, read, I, read, I read for about three different times and they called me up. They said, we need you down here. So I had my mom call the school and then the school would you know, give me the permission to leave. And I leave, I mean, I'm going to school in Manhattan. So then one day the headmaster set me aside. I was a, you know, and he, he, we went for a walk and he told me he thought it was a huge mistake that I shouldn't be doing this. And I was had to explain to him like, look, if I get the part, I'm not going to be leaving school much. I'm not going to be missing school and stuff like that. If I get the part, it's going to be during the summer. So what the hell do you care? And he goes, I think it's going to be disruptive to your education. He was really hard selling me not to do it. I'm like, look, Hmm. I said, listen to me. Fiji Islands in the summertime with this beautiful girl, you can't do this to me. And it was this huge thing. It's just like, well, we're our opinion is we don't want you to take it. And it was it was infuriating that I didn't get it. But then I was grateful because the reviews terrible. Of, the, of the movie That's horrible. said that the only thing worth seeing is the nice color of the plants. Yep. It's horrible. It was bad. Do you ever So you look so we you and I are both two failed actors. Correct. Do you ever think today that at some point, you know, when I was younger, it, there was some sort of don't you don't want to act your your best. You don't want to act how you think you can. You need to keep it a little cool. You still need to right. be cool, you know? Well, today I really don't give a shit what people think. And so, yeah. do you ever think that like, man, I I should try out for something. I should just go try out for this or i should just you know i just try what do you mean try out for like what? whatever like uh you ever have a you ever have a thought in your mind that you say you know what man i would love to go into new york city and actually try out for a, a for some sort of commercial or a play or i don't care a movie of some sort or something like that and just to do it because now you're not afraid now you don't have to be cool you could just actually do what you're good at or be interesting that's an interesting question because I honestly, when I was a kid, my mother was a stage act, uh, stage mother, and she really was pushing me to be, you know, to do it. And I think it, I, I understand the whole concept, and I didn't really enjoy my my reasoning behind doing this stuff was not to be famous. My reasoning behind doing the the plays was because I wanted to meet girls, and the reason why I wanted to do Blue Lagoon Two was because Mila Jovovich was—I mean, she was still young looking, but she was, you know, my age, and it was, she was cute, and that's what I, I thought I was going to fall in love with Fiji Islands. Yeah, and it, it had nothing to do with this concept of fame. It was completely self-serving, you know, which ultimately what that is anyway. I never feel interested in. I have tried. What did I try out for? When I did the YouTube video Epicurious. They spoke with me for a bit, and I kind of tried out by, by just doing the, what I'm doing with you, just like shooting the shit and show, and just being very confident. And I was originally supposed to do, you know, Will Griffith. Will Griffith did um, another one for Epicurious where he was showing the different types of uh, knives. Hmm. And I was originally going to do. Now here's the story. Joel from Cut Brooklyn was yeah. originally supposed to do the Epicurious video. And he broke his leg and he couldn't do it. And he said, you need to get Fader because he's nuts. 
He says something like that. He they basically said you got to get Fader because he's nuts. When he do they? A couple- when do they zoom in on your legs during that Epicurious video? He gave a reason. He's a you, Joel. I met Joel. Joel came down the shop. He's a very quiet guy. Super, super nice. Yeah. He's got his reasonings. He, I think I'm under the impression that it was way worse than just a broken leg. I think he was like laid up for months. He trained. He, bad he trained my all time favorite knife maker, and I don't Who's think that? I've ever said this before. Go ahead, Mariah Cowles. Orchard I Steel. Find out who that is. I got. Oh yes, 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 yes. She's yes. my absolutely favorite. He's, I could, I, if you were, Joel from Cut Brooklyn is for sure one of these, a small handful of guys who kind of brought back that culinary knife thing mm-hmm. to this kind of like, this, his, this, I don't want to say hipster, but like this, you know, this artisanal bringing it to the higher light, you know. But so he had said, well, get Fader. He's, he, and, and be, the other thing was, this wasn't, they weren't looking for someone all over the country. There are not that many knife makers in New York. You know, there's right. a handful of them, and they needed to. And that's the other thing about this thing. They people seem to think that this was like get the private jet and get Fader down there. I had to take the train down. I wasn't paid, <laughs> and they, I had to write the whole episode. You know, this is shoestring stuff, and it's not like they fact checked me with the ABS. Right. So originally it was going to be, it was going to be Will. It was going to be Joel was going to do the Epicurious. He said he couldn't do it. They grabbed me. I was going to do Will's. Uh, episode where I will talk about different chef knives would have been a total disaster because I don't really understand those Japanese, all the different Japanese knives. I mean, Will was perfect for it. And then they were going to have, I was going to do that and Will was going to do the Epicurious. And then after they talked to both of us, they said, all right, Will's going to be perfect for that. The, the, the funny part is, is if you look at the video with Will, he, he, he doesn't look like that anymore. He, they got him, he was pale, he shaved his head, he was super, he had cuts all over his hands. He looked like a zombie and he's not like that at all i mean it literally looks like he just got off of like some sort of you know you know uh marching uh you know some sort of field march he looks terrible and he he and i were chatting back and forth and i actually just saw him a few months ago with an event at uh, eating tools such a good dude he's got a full head of hair and he's much bigger and he just looks he looks healthier he doesn't look as you know awful he said he says whatever you do don't read the comments because you're going to talk about your hands because his hands literally look like he stuck them in a pencil sharpener. <laughs> his hands look were so beat. If you ever watched the video, I'm just like, I was watching. I was like, God damn, he could have done something with his hands. And the funny thing is, they did the same to me. Yeah. So I had to try out for it, um, but it was like I, it was just a phone call. I didn't have to like do tape and stuff like that. I was I, and I wasn't really going to do that. The funny thing is, now that you mention it, I actually wrote a TV show. That I have a uh, TV producer who's done a few shows for you know Netflix and all this stuff, and I had a he said to me, if you ever decide you want to do a TV show, he came down the shop. We you know I did this this whole bullshit I'm doing right now. He said, if you ever want to write a show, I'll you know pitch it to me. So I did write a show, and I was and was when I was sick with the flu in January, or uh, no sick in the flu. I said something in September or something like that. He they liked it, and I actually got. The, now that it's all over, the Food Network was interested in doing um, a pilot because we were gonna. And the funny thing is, is, once again with these TV shows, as you probably know from Wizards of Waverly Place, they they make you do everything. So I had to. Not only did I have to do write the whole thing and give you, you know, different variations, I had to bring the chefs on board because it was the whole idea. I'm not gonna go into it because we're still right. do it, but but I had to I had to have the all the connections I wanted of the, the people on the show. I had to bring them in. I had to do everything. 
So we they did they pitched it to the Food Network. The Food Network said it's a little bit too masculine for our people. Hmm. And it's the truth because the Food Network, it's like they want, you know, they want, they want, it's for, it's not for the, they don't want Fortune Fire on the Food Network. They want Ina Garten or something. Like, they want Ina Garten, right. Yeah. It's, it's much more, it's, it was too, they said it was too macho. So then we went to. History we will take cut. anything. We should go to history with this. Well, I mean, I, I, this, this guy was just like, he really wanted to do, we we're going to do a sizzle reel a short sizzle reel and pitch it to streaming networks because mm. he's got a lot of connections with the streaming networks, which are, is better now because the, you know, the, these cable shows, they're not, nobody's interested. So actually the funny thing is you say that as you ever want to do it. I originally, I was like, I'm not going to do this. And then I was going back and forth to Tony and Tony, my business partner would say, listen, whatever they do, they're going to destroy it. You know, don't just don't right. fall in love with it. I had the name, I had this, that, the other thing. They changed the whole goddamn thing right off the bat. He's just like, you got to know that's what's going to happen. So when the coronavirus hit, and you know, all of a sudden there's nobody's. You know, you can't have. You know, no one's making any TV shows. That was just like he sent me this nice message. He's like, you know, just be safe, and when this thing all comes about, you know, maybe we'll figure something out. And but uh, you know, we're just gonna, you know, let's just keep let's just keep in touch. I'm like, all right, I'm with you, 100. percent I love that voice. It's like a Muppet that you do. Yeah, it is like a well. That that actually comes from a that that uh that comes from all these weird voices come from my <laughs> friends from college, and one of them is this guy Miles Van Rensselaer, who is my college roommate. And you would always go all of a sudden. <laughs> Going like this, I love okay. that you just dropped his name. Like you don't give a shit. You're like Miles. Yeah, I'm a half him. Yeah, I'm Miles. Half Miles is Miles is Miles is one of those guys that is just an extraordinary character. And I'll and I'll tell you a couple of Miles stories real quick. He was my college roommate, and he was a sculptor, but he was also an English major. He decided that he wanted to do a year abroad in Papua New Guinea. Well, and he and Indonesia. So he learned Indonesian. Uh, the language he was Indonesia. He got, he went uh, native, as they say. Like he got, he's, you know, he's real, and he's just, you know, it's interesting. A white, you know, this kid with his history. His family was Dutch, and it was weird because the this, you know, his family was Dutch going to, and that's where the Dutch colonized Indonesia. And he ended up staying in Papua New Guinea, and he lived in this in the he lived in this village with former. You know, can that's where the cannibals are, and they're all walking around with penis gourds. <laughs> and I'm telling you, he was just like it was crazy. And he came back, and he had he had gotten emphytiga, which is like some skin disease. Yeah. And my my wife at the time was my girlfriend, but she was still you know very into medicine. She's just like, listen, we were going to drive from the city to college, and I said, let's just stop and see Miles. He just got back from Indonesia. I think he had infatigo, but I think it'll be okay. And she says to me, just whatever you do, don't touch him. I'm like, what do you mean don't touch him? He's like, well, if he he's might be contagious. So he came down. He used to call me Fades. Fades! <laughs> he's just come down this hallway. He's covered in these white frosted flakes all over his body. It's infatigo. And he jumped into my arms. Oh, my God. Just wearing boxer shorts. My girlfriend at the time just about had a heart attack. She's like, all I don't, we shouldn't even go to his house. This motherfucker's half naked and he jumps in my arms. Holy crap. Miles is, and then another couple miles story. He was, he was really sick, you know, a few months later. And he had these crazy fevers. And it got to the point where my, my wife now, my girlfriend, she's like, there's something wrong. This isn't normal. 
he was having rigors, rigors. You know what that is? No. You get that from malaria. Oh my so God. So he actually had malaria in the middle of Ohio. We brought him to the hospital. Hillary's like, you got to bring him to the hospital. He says, Something's not right. Bring him to the hospital. Turns out he has, he has, they hadn't seen malaria since World War II. And we actually, she saved his life because he was like, he was about to like, you know, die from rigors. But he was, a, he's an incredible guy. I got to have him on at some is point. Rigors, is rigors like, uh, it makes it, me think of rigor mortis. Is it something like that? I, I think you're shaking so much from your incredibly high fevers that you're like vibrating. Oh my God. It's bad. It was like, it was super bad. And then the last thing was he was working on a sculpture and he was using a right angle grinder with a chainsaw bit. Hell yeah. The, the chainsaw blade. And that's full blast. That's that was full blast. the craziest tool of all time. Right. right? And he was carving a bispole, which is this Indonesian or it's, I don't know, I think it's Papua New Guinea, these like ancestral. He got into like all this, you know, parasitic wood carving. So he's just going at this fucking block of, 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 um, of, you know, this tree. He's trying to carve a, you know, a guy with a penis and stuff like that. And that was the big thing. If you, you know, you see these bispoles, they got dudes with big dongs and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, you hear the thing going, you hear the thing going, and then you hear it stops. Oh, God. And he goes, hey, face, hey, face. And I look over. It stopped because it hit, it, it, it hit a knot. Then it went straight for his crotch, and it, ca- it caught. It caught his, fing- his, his hand. He cut on uh, one of the uh, tendons in his hand. And then the zipper in his pants locked it all up. Oh my God, that's insane! I ran over and unplugged it, and it's just like it's 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 vibrating on his crotch. This chainsaw bit is stopped by the zipper in his pants. He they would it would have cut him up. How's this I mean, guy still alive? There's other miles stories. Miles He's is like one a of the cat. greatest human. Miles is one of the greatest human beings of all time. He's a fascinating individual. He's I love I love everything about it. We've only had crazy adventures, and we brought him. We had to bring him to the hospital because he's got like blood gushing out of his hand. He cut an a, um, a tendon, and we thank God he would have cut his abdomen open. He would have cut his dick off. He used to wear those shorts, those pants that had no zipper on them. This was like he got lucky. He was wearing a zipper pa- pair of pants. He used to wear the zumbas. Really, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the like the like the sweatpants. He is so lucky. He's alive because that fucking thing would have cut him in two like cut him in two if you so cut miles van rensler so that's where that weird leave that little voice like that that's that's all miles van rensler if you that's, cut that's, your dick off trying to carve a dick yeah it's irony that's fucking that's what irony is right there that's the definition and, and that's what i'm talking about jared thatcher of boot hill blades of three daughters farm boot hill kitchen he ain't cutting his dick off. He's making beautiful knives. He's raising all these great sheep and, and animals. And he's the mayor of one of the great towns of Tennessee bordering on Kentucky. Oh, Kentucky bordering on Tennessee. I'm, I cannot thank you enough for coming on here. I'm going to have to have you on again. I'm taking a very theatrical bow right now just for you, and I appreciate it. I can't it. believe you're the mayor. I, you know, you are, you are officially the highest ranking knife maker in the United States. Mm-hmm. Politically, there's nobody closer, and you got somebody's gonna have to find me someone better than Mayor Thatcher. I can't thank you enough. And if you want, I was gonna actually, you know what? I got one thing, one last piece of business to talk about, just real quick. Fader Knives EDC Coffee is happening again right now on the 17th, and we had such a good time. I forgot to do this plug. 
So Fader Knives EDC Coffee, we were, I'm working with the Peekskill Coffee House, and we decided to sell coffee to do something good. And what we did before was during the whole pandemic thing, we're still, we're still there, we were doing Feed the Front Line. So all the money spent on the coffee from the Peekskill Coffee House would go to these restaurants that would feed uh, frontline workers. So we made 2500 bucks. We did our thing, and we decided, what are we going to do next? What we're going to do now is we're involved with the Peekskill NAACP, which is very uh, involved with the Board of Education in uh, Peekskill City School Districts. I went to a meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and then I'm going to another meeting tonight. The biggest problem with what's going on with the schooling is a lot of kids who are doing uh, distance distance learning are unable to, a lot of them are unable to do their work for a couple reasons. One is maybe they don't have a computer. Maybe the family doesn't have Wi-Fi. It's almost, it is impossible for them to do work, especially can't go to the library because social distancing. Right. So what the Peekskill NAACP is doing is they're working with the Board of Education and they're trying to do two things. They're trying to get families have Wi-Fi and computers. They're got, they're, they're, we're kind of working with, we're trying to work with a couple big companies to try to make sure we can get some stuff like that. But the, what they're also doing is they're uh, opening up this youth center and they're hiring high school kids who are computer literate and middle school kids who are computer literate to volunteer to help train the parents because a lot of these parents aren't computer literate at all. So they can't even help their goddamn kids. <laughs> So the, what we're going to try to do is we're going to, if you go to PeekskillCoffee.com, buy e, Fader Knives EDC, all the money is going to go towards this education initiative, and it's going to try to help these kids because we're coming up on school starting, and we need to get these kids going because it, it's, it, it's not their fault. Whatever, whatever your political opinion is, it isn't their fault, and they shouldn't have to be punished because they can't get any work done. So go to uh, PeekskillCoffee.com. Uh, go get yourself some Fader Knives EDC coffee. It is good-tasting coffee. I will send you down some, Jared, because I want you to know how good it is. It's good-tasting coffee, I'm telling you. Thank you, sir. I didn't think it would be. I didn't think it would be, but I'm surprised it is. And then you're going to help the people, these kids in Peekskill who need the help because, because you can't tr- – I mean, you can trust Jared Thatcher as a politician, but the rest of them, I'm not 100% sure. So I already got some of thank- that coffee. Remember, Kylie bought some. And it, oh, yeah. It was, Did you like it? Oh, it was fantastic. It was good, right? I thought it was really good. I was really surprised. Good. It was really good. I'm going to say – thank you, Kylie. I want to send you some more. But uh, you be like, be like Jared. Help your community by being in there. Uh, that's the one thing about you. So go follow us on Instagram. That's the Full Blast Podcast. Go subscribe uh, on iTunes. Leave a review. It helps us share it to your friends. Tell people you like this show. And then we've got a lot more good stuff coming up. Once again, thank you, Mayor Thatcher, for 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 spending your time here. I know it's Monday, and I know you're about to go with the with the town council. You're going to settle some scores. You're going to be the the King Solomon of your town. And I'm and they couldn't be more lucky. I just finished my beer, so it's great timing. Double fruited marshmallow passion fruit dragon fruit papaya beer. That's your mayor. That's your mayor, and that's a show. Thank you. So thanks again, and we're gonna see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. See ya. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.